morning, church. Hope you're doing well this morning. Uh, it's good to have a warm place to gather on a cold morning like today. It's uh, so good to be with you. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet, my name's Nick Wilkes. Uh, I have the privilege of working with middle school and high school students uh, here at Chapel Rock, and it's my honor to be able to serve in this way this morning as our pastor Casey is on sabbatical right now. Uh, we heard uh, through uh, some family grapevine news that I think he's making the transition from Washington to Montana uh, today, um, getting ready to uh, spend some time there in, in uh, solitude and just having an opportunity to be filled up. I also heard they got six fresh inches of snow last night, you know, so I'm um, not sure what, uh, what the outdoors will bring for him, but uh, I'm truly excited for him. I uh, had the opportunity to have a sabbatical of my own, September, October, November of last year, and I just want to say how grateful I am for the blessing of that opportunity. One of the best pieces of advice I feel like I was given um, heading into that was to just put yourself um, in, in, uh, in the place where you saturate yourself in the Word till you're filled up to overflowing again. And then go pour yourself back out. <clears throat> and it was truly a season of just, just being able to um, slow down and be able to be filled. And we are excited, this, uh, jumping back in, in in December and then here in January, uh, to be able to jump back into all the, the Lord would have for us. So I'm just uh, especially prayful, prayerful for pa Pastor Casey right now and, and ask that you would continue to join in praying for him in this season as well. Um, as we get started, can we just, can we go to the Lord in prayer? And um, then we'll jump into our message this morning. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for the joy of worship and the opportunity to dig into your word. Thank you for the joy of being able to serve together as brothers and sisters in Christ, part of the body of Christ here at Chapel Rock. Lord, we do especially want to lift up Pastor Casey right now, uh, that you would fill him up to overflowing. Lord, that you would continue to nurture him and, and help him to grow and just refresh in this season. And Lord, for all of us in our daily walks, that's our prayer, that we would continue to be in the place where we are just centered in who you are, um, that your word fills us, that we're continually growing in you and just holding on to your spirit's lead for all that's ahead. Thank you, Lord, to that end for this opportunity to dig into your word this morning uh, through this message that's ahead, and we just pray that you would speak to us in ways that only you can. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Have you ever had someone ask you a question that just kind of stopped you right there in your tracks? This past Christmas, as I was celebrating with my mom and dad who are here uh, this morning, um, I got to see my Uncle Rob, my dad's brother, who I hadn't seen for a while. And I'd been on sabbatical for the three months before that, so I hadn't really seen a lot of uh, too many people. And my Uncle Rob, if you know him at all, he has a way of just, you know, sometimes bringing something that's a little bit unexpected. So uh, as he walked in the door and, you know, we gave hugs, he said, hey, good to see you. What's old? And I was like, what's old? Like, what? It just kind of, it stopped me, you know, because you're used to when you haven't seen anybody for a while, you know, you say, hey, what's, what's going on? What's new? You know, and I had to... I had to like reverse those stories that were, I'd been telling because I hadn't seen a lot of people, but things that were new, things that had been happening recently and, and stop and go, okay, what is old as you're trying to shake things up here a little bit, Uncle Rob? 
Um, and I began to think. I began to step back and, and tell him on the spot. It's like, what, you know, things that I have been appreciating that have been consistent, which made me think about the Lord's faithfulness uh, in my family, in the opportunities that we have to serve here at Chapel Rock, in, in where we're at and what we've been up to. Um, but I, I wonder, what are the types of questions that sometimes cause you to just stop in your tracks? You know, maybe it's a question like, what's old? Maybe it's a question like, what's new? Because it doesn't feel like much is new, maybe in a moment. Maybe it's a question like, are you okay? Really, are you okay? Or tell me about what you've been going through. Or why did you do that? <clears throat> Ever been there? Maybe just me? Or maybe a question like, what were you thinking? And if you've not already been stopped in your tracks, you stop right there to go, I don't know what I was thinking. <clears throat> Maybe it's a question like, how long will this last? <laughs> or how have you been growing? Or is this how you saw yourself right now? Maybe it's a question like, how'd that work out for you? A well-timed question has the power sometimes to disarm things, disarm us, Sometimes it has the power to encourage, or it has the power to cause someone to reevaluate. sometimes pivot right there in a moment. Sometimes it totally refocuses us to see ourselves or our situation in a different light. A good question can bring clarity. It can help us to go deep. A good question can help us sometimes to solve a problem or sometimes hone in on a solution. Um, celebrating Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day this past Monday. I'm sure many of you had either the day off work or maybe the day off school. Um, but um, digging into some of the just wealth of different things that he said uh, as we celebrate him, I want to bring a quote to you from a speech that he made in Washington, D.C. in 1968 about questions. And he said this, On some positions, cowardice asks the question, Is it safe? Or expediency asks the question, is it politic? Vanity asks the question, is it popular? But conscience asks the question, is it right? And there comes a time when we must take position that is neither safe, nor politic, nor popular, but he must make it because his conscience tells him it is right. In scripture, we see a lot of questions as well. Questions that Jesus himself asked that often really stop people in their tracks and make them think. Mark 10, 18, Jesus says, why do you call me good? Mark 8, 36, Jesus said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul. Luke 6.41, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that's in your own eye? John 1.38, what do you want? Matthew 16.15, who do you say that I am? Our text today is from Esther chapter 4 and 5, so if you have your Bible, your Bible apps, 
uh, grab a few Bible, go ahead and open to Esther chapters 4 and 5, which is where we're going to be. And Esther gets asked a question at a time when what hangs in the balance is not just her own life as a young Jewish queen, as if that weren't enough to hang in the balance when your life is on the line. But what also hangs in the balance as she gets to ask this question are the lives and fate of the entire Jewish nation that hang in the balance as well. And here's the question that she gets asked from Esther chapter 4, verse 14. The question is this. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this? We're going to explore the context surrounding that question today and this three-day story, which is really a courage story that we come to in this series that we've been on. But as we do, I don't want you to really necessarily jump right to what's new, but to stop and pause and think for a little bit about what's old. Are there places and times that you can think back to when maybe someone asked you one of those questions that stopped you in your tracks, made you kind of stop and think? And what have you done with those questions? Has someone asked you something that you felt like brought clarity or maybe some insight to you in a new way? Sometimes it's not a new answer that we come up with, but it's something old, something you've lived with, something that you're doing, or some new light that's shed because you see the old in a new way through a good question. I think if we're honest, we can all look back at times, I know I can, where maybe we've, we've been, not just maybe, undoubtedly we've been in a for such a time as this moment. And sometimes we nail it, and sometimes we fail it. <laughs> Maybe you can look back at a time where maybe you didn't quite blow it totally, but wish maybe you could still have a do-over. I don't know if you've ever been there. I certainly have. Um, maybe it brings us to a place where we're not quite fully where we want to be, and we know there are things that we could have done or we should have done at some pretty critical junctures. Sometimes I have my best ideas in hindsight, you know, or after the moment's passed. And maybe we felt like we've been there before with some missed opportunities, maybe with with uh, our, our friends or our family, our kids, our spouses, um, among our job. Maybe we see now in the rearview mirror the ways that decisions that we've made in the past had a lot more writing on them than maybe we could see or understand in the moment. And we wish sometimes we could go back and know the full weight of what was at stake. If you've been there, it's my prayer that today's text challenges and encourages you in a way that a well-timed question has the power to do. And not only that, but we're given courage to face the reality of what needs to happen in a moment that might not feel safe. And it might not lead us down a path that's going to be quick. It might not be the popular place to be, but as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, it's right. And we do what we have to do because the Holy Spirit leads us in the courage that we need. Esther found herself in the midst of a pretty tricky situation, to say the least. There's some great things about this three-day story that are immediately applicable to thinking deeply about where the Lord has each of us 
and what are for such a time as this moment requires. But in order to get to the heart of the three-day story, there are some things that you need to know. So I want to give you a little bit of background leading us up to where we'll begin digging in in chapter 4. Um, the background is this. <clears throat> the Jewish nation is in exile. Two weeks ago, if you remember back when Casey started uh, this, this message series, he started with Abraham and the covenant promise that was made to Abraham. Last week, Brandon, as he started out, talked about the fact that 400 years had passed between Casey's message about Abraham and what was talked about last week with Moses and the fact that he was uh, helping to lead the people out of slavery in Egypt where they had been for 400 years. So from that point, uh, they had been, here's a couple more uh, groups of years to add into the math, 40 years wandering in the wilderness after being delivered from the promised land. They then spent 400 years being ruled by judges, then another 340 years or so under the leadership of a king as the nation of Israel, and then 70 years of being in exile and captivity, first the Babylonian captivity, but then as the Babylonian empire got overrun and taken over by the Persians, um, we find the story of Esther happening, we're, we're pretty sure, pretty close to around 479 B.C. during the Persian rule of King Xerxes. And this story that we're going to read takes place in the Persian city of Susa, which you can, you can go to the ancient ruins today, but it's found in the modern southwest Iranian city of Shush, is where ancient Susa was located. So... When we find ourselves uh, reading about what's happening here to Esther, the Persians have taken over the Babylonians, and the Persian Empire at the time, little history lesson for you, spanned from India all the way across the Middle East to Ethiopia, and the Jewish nation was spread out, uh, dispersed in and among the Persian Empire. So in Esther chapter 1, the book opens with the Persian queen, Vashti, refusing to come before the king and his drunken friends to a party, a lavish party he was throwing just to kind of show how, you know, amazing things were going. But in his drunkenness, asking for his then-queen Vashti to appear, um, and she doesn't, she's banished. So that kind of sets up, you know, the beginning of the story. In Esther chapter 2, we find the king then, on the urging of his advisors, ordering all the beautiful women um, in the province to be brought to Susa so that he could choose a new wife. And it's there in chapter 2 that we meet Mordecai, who's a Jew living in Susa, and he's taking care of his orphaned relative, Esther, who was adopted into Mordecai's family, and he raised her as her own daughter as her mother and father had died. So Esther is brought to the palace. She's part of this process. And Mordecai instructs her at first not to tell anyone of her Jewish heritage, just to kind of see how things go. And she enters into this process uh, for a queen to be found. And the king loves her more than any of the other candidates, and she is made queen. So at the end of chapter 2, so Vashti's banished, Esther becomes queen. And then at the end of chapter 2, we read about sometime later, just some more context that kind of sets up the story. Mordecai, who kind of regularly checked in with what was going on, as any, any good um, father figure would do, um, in, in one of his days of uh, going about what he did, overheard some folks plotting to assassinate the king. 
So he tells Esther, she tells the king, and they're able to stop the plot. So Vashti's banished, Esther becomes queen, Mordecai stops an assassination plot. And then in chapter 3, still some lead up to where we're going, uh, we read about this tension that develops between Mordecai and a guy named Haman, who's second in command to Xerxes, and a one who really just demanded respect in all that he did and got in some major tension with Mordecai. So Mordecai doesn't give him the respect that he feels like his position deserves and makes Haman just so mad that not only does he want to figure out something to do with Mordecai, but when he finds out that Mordecai is Jewish in, in his heritage, he comes up with a plot not only to have Mordecai killed, but to have his entire uh, people killed. So he wants to take him out, and he wants to take out all the people. It is, it is uh, genocide of 476 B.C. that is being set up by Haman and then um, also decreed through the official channels that Xerxes push, pushes out. So um, Haman plots against Mordecai and all his people. And in chapter 4, where we're going to pick up today in the text as we read it, we find Mordecai weeping. He's calling on the queen to take some action to step in and help in the face of this devastating news, as you could imagine the weight of all they were facing. So we pick up the story in Esther chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And as you follow along, the text says this. When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes. He put on burlap and ashes and went out into the city crying with a loud and bitter wail. He went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And as news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, they wept, they wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. When Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She, she sent clothing to him to replace the burlap, but he refused it. Then Esther sent for Haddock, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed as her attendant. She ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and why he was in mourning. So Haddock went to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gate. <clears throat> Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Haddock a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all Jews. He asked Haddock to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Haddock to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. So Haddock returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Haddock, go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Haddock gave Esther's message to Mordecai. So you get the sense... <clears throat> that, uh, to say the least, Mordecai is deeply distressed, as are uh, his people throughout the provinces. Esther tries to cheer him up, and she, she goes about seeking to find the root cause of his mourning. She's handed evidence of the decree that Haman came up with, 
And Mordecai calls on Queen Esther to literally beg for mercy. The more intense side of the problem for Esther, as if it weren't intense enough, was that while Mordecai and her people and Esther faced genocide with no action, she faced the potential immediate death in taking the first steps of action. So Esther relays the gravity of the situation back to Mordecai, to which he makes a statement, and he simply asks a good, well-timed question. Esther chapter 4, beginning in verse 13 and 14. <clears throat> Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you'll escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. So Mordecai, he knows that Esther's in a tough spot, but the heart of the question drew her back first to her identity, to a reminder of who she is, and a reminder also of the Lord's faithfulness, the Lord who had brought deliverance so many times to his people. We've been studying throughout these, these past couple weeks in these different three-day stories that we've looked at. You know, keeping his covenant with Abraham, uh, leading through Moses. And Mordecai is challenging her to step forward in courage and in faith that were both completely in line with who she knew God was and what he would want her to do. What the moment called for, what was right. But just in case she needed a little bit more clarity, Mordecai also reminded her if she did nothing, it wouldn't be God's will that would be stopped. There's a bold reminder that he gave her there that we just read, reminding us that God's always in control. He can work. He will work. He does work in according with his purposes. Um, he invites us to join him in the incredible adventure of that journey. But sometimes, sometimes we don't step into the moment. Sometimes we just don't. Sometimes we won't. But Mordecai's reminder is that doesn't mean that God still won't make a way. So much of what we encounter uh, today for us, man, in the difficulties of what we live out throughout a normal week, they aren't circumstances that sometimes we would, we would choose for our own selves if we could just like willingly orchestrate a week. But <clears throat> things come up and uh, we're in the midst of a difficult situation. We're in the midst of sometimes suffering that comes our way. Sometimes it's a result of our own choices. Sometimes it's a result of sin. Sometimes it's a result of the incredible gift of free will that we have or the, the choices others make in their free will. But we're caught, we, we find ourselves in difficult spots sometimes, having to pick up the, the pieces. Um, I just want to, I really want to encourage you today, when we find ourselves in those difficult spaces, our calling is to be courageous and to be found faithful. Oswald Chambers put it like this. He said, to choose suffering makes no sense at all. To choose God's will in the midst of our suffering makes all the sense in the world. And I love the power of that 
you know, that in the midst of the suffering, still choosing God's will. You know, it's, it's a reminder of Jesus' words in John chapter 16, verse 33, where Jesus says, hey, in this world you will have trouble. Like, it's, it's going to come. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Resting in who we are, whose we are, his faithfulness helps us to choose God's will in the midst of our suffering. So here's a question for you. <clears throat> How might God be calling you to be courageous and faithful and to make him known even in the midst of something incredibly difficult or challenging that you might be facing right now? Hey, for such a time as this moment that's real, that's today, that's January 2024 where we find ourselves. The suffering might not make sense as you're stepping into it, but I want to encourage you to remember who we are. Remember God's faithfulness in the midst of the suffering, and that will keep us centered in his desire to work in and through his people to make himself known no matter what the circumstances. So how does this all play out? <clears throat> What comes next is perhaps the most important part for Esther, and it's really where the three-day story part of our text comes from this morning. It's the moment, though, we're in right now, kind of in this place between, you know, when the question is asked and the, the place where you know that action needs to be taken, but you're kind of in that in-between moment. You know, I don't know if you've been there before. It's like, okay, I know answering this question, like really digging into it, is going to cause me to make some changes, or it's going to cause me to have to step forward into something that might be a little tricky or unknown or might feel uncomfortable. And that's where we find Esther in this space between what Mordecai is challenging her to do, what he feels like God is calling her to do because of where he's placed her, and the action that she's going to take. So in verse 15 of chapter 4, we pick it up. It says, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it's against the law, I will go and see the king. And if I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything that Esther ordered him. So we see, this, we see this shift in Esther, but perhaps most important in what she hopes is going to bring her the strength to do what she feels like she has to do in that moment is she's not going to walk forward alone. And our three-day story is significant because the three days in this story are three days that are set aside for a people to join together to fast. And it was a given for those in Jewish culture that fasting would be accompanied by fervent prayer for what was ahead. That's the, that's the weight of this three-day story that we come to today. Um, there's a gentleman, Dr. Wesley Duell, uh, who served in world missions for 75 years of his life. Um, he, he passed away in 2016, uh, but he is said to have read the Bible through over 200 times in his 75 years of, of service and world missions. And I don't know about you, but someone that has that kind of life experience um, and, you know, has dug into the word, I, I appreciate gleaning whatever weight I can from the wisdom that they have. And he says this about fasting. 
He says fasting in the biblical sense is choosing not to partake of food because your spiritual hunger is so deep. Your determination in intercession is so intense. Or your spiritual warfare is so demanding that you've temporarily set aside even fleshly needs to give yourself to prayer and meditation. And I read a weighty statement like that, thinking about the experience, thinking about the moments that he must have faced throughout his ministry. And, and, and it doesn't lead me too far from asking myself questions to tie into that. By, and something we can all ask ourselves is like, so how deep is my spiritual hunger in the things that I'm praying for? What does the intensity of intercession look like? Maybe even thinking back to the last thing that we prayed for or told someone in our lives, yeah, I'll be praying for you about that. What's, what's the intensity of that intercession look like? What are we willing to even set aside to give ourselves fully to seeking the Lord and asking others to do the same on our behalf in our for such a time as this moment? That's, that's the lead up. Esther is calling her people to a place of prayer and fasting like that. To present themselves fully to the Lord through intense spiritual seeking. And then in chapter 5, she puts on her best robes at the end of those three days and she goes for it. I love it. Now I asked a couple of my uh, lawyer friends one who I see right here, Laura DeGay, uh, who's uh, with us, and I think Jess Reese is here as well some, somewhere. She was teaching the middle school and high school this morning. Um, but because of all the, the legality of the decree that had been issued and, and uh, the fact that Esther was going to have to step in and break the law, you know, how does a text like this hit someone who uh, has, has spent a lot of time um, studying the law? I see Paul Vink out here this morning too. Um, Jess, and Aunt, or, uh, Jess and Laura, uh, I don't know if you know this, you sit uh, among some folks that, you know, there's all kinds of awesome gifts and abilities, people that are a part of the body of Chapel Rock, uh, the gifts and abilities that people are a part of the cha body of Chapel Rock have. Um, I got to lead a small group with Jess and her husband Anthony and Laura and my wife Nicole, and um, Jess teaches, uh, she taught law at the time at IUPUI, environmental law, and I think she also uh, became partner in record time this past year at a, a downtown law firm. She was working for Indiana Department of Environmental Management at the time in their law department. Um, Laura is a law professor at IU School of Law in Bloomington. And we led a group of high school students together in small group. And I loved what would happen when uh, something on current events or something related to the law came up. And these high school students like had no idea the wealth and depth of knowledge that was like in the room with them, you know, and how, how deep we could go with it. It was so fun. Um, and it's, it's so fun in many different ways. Um, serving in the trenches with the team that's a part of folks that are leading this next generation of young people. You know, from the life experience that folks bring that are rocking babies, you know, or digging in with middle school students or high school students, it's, it's just so rich. So I asked them both, how do you see this passage from a legal teaching personal side of things that can shed light on what's happening? And I also kind of framed it up in light of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day and how 
challenging the law, even civil disobedience in his case, had been something that had been used to move the needle forward throughout history in the face of seemingly impossible situations. But we know incredible ways that the faithfulness of God's people um, moved the needle. And so Jess uh, said, uh, here's, here's just some notes that she, she uh, told me about this passage and how it hits her as a lawyer. She said, what strikes me is Esther's all-of-the-above approach to dealing with the problem. She deals with the immediate need by sending clothes to Mordecai. <laughs> I like that. First, he's in burlap and ashes, and she's like, hey, get dressed. You know, here's some clothes. Um, <clears throat> she's honest about the risks. Um, she informs herself by gathering information. You can read about that in chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Um, she gets the receipts, as the kids say these days. You know, she's, she works on the evidence. She's honest about the risk. And then she calls on God with fasting and prayer. I love that. She goes for it in, verse, in chapter 5, verse 1. She prays, she prepares, and then she acts. And Jess said this, Anthony and I call this faith and sweat. You put in the work, but you recognize that it's all up to God. You know, I love that. Just this idea, it's like, okay, Lord, I'm trusting. I'm trusting that I'm in this place. It's, it's up to you, but I'm going to do everything that I can. And then Jess added this lastly. She said, as a woman lawyer, I also appreciate that she puts on her best clothes in chapter 5, verse 1. She said, I do this too when I have a particularly hard day ahead of me. It's the lawyer version of putting on your armor. I like that. Laura, likewise, had lots of great insights. Um, and, and she says, a few things that have always stood out and spoken to me are, are these things, the following. Mordecai reminded her, um, reminded her, Esther, that God's always in total control and that if she chooses to act or not, it won't be God's will that will be thwarted. He'll cause his will to be fulfilled in some other way, but it will be her own fate, her fate both in the here and now and possibly in eternity that depends on her faithfulness to God. Laura also added, she didn't just take Mordecai's challenge and go off and just think about it or pray about it on her own. She told him that she needed others fasting and praying for her. Likewise, she was determined that she would be bold no matter what the consequences were. <clears throat> and, and Laura, you see some of, this, some of the legal mind and, and I'm sure you know, the insight that folks in her class get to, get to glean from as, as she thinks about planning and preparing as a lawyer. Uh, Laura says, critically, she had a plan before she acted. Her action was very deliberate. She first built on the king's confidence and then she controlled the stage. She controlled her presentation, including who was to be present. And to get the rest of the story, you're going to have to today, maybe after, before the, the next playoff game starts this afternoon, read through 5, 6, 7, all the way to 10, and you can read the, the rest of the story and how Esther uh, controlled the stage, the presentation. Laura adds, when it didn't seem like it was right the, the first time that she invited Haman to a banquet, she continued it another day. She was capable of discerning God's will, and she delayed the plan for another day. And then Laura lastly says this. Chapter 4, verse 14 is one of my top, very top favorite verses. You ask specifically about the connection with the law, and it's there, but it's always there for me. But we have to recognize that God puts us in every place that we're in. He's in control, and that means that we're not. We probably aren't making decisions 
about civil disobedience every day, but we should be recognizing that we make decisions every day by what we decide to do, and because most people don't think about doing by not doing, what we don't do. And it's not a, who knows, I think that was said kind of tug-in-cheek, she says, it's we know. We know that we were put into the situations we are in for such a time as that. And I love that. appreciate that insight. Thank you so much for that. And ultimately in chapters 5 through 10, we read about some crazy plot twists where Haman's exposed and uh, receives the death that he'd been planning for Mordecai because his pride and his deceit go from bad to worse. But Mordecai... And his people, through Esther, are saved by her stepping into her identity and her calling. And through the prayer and the fasting of the people, she has the courage to face her fear and live faithfully even in the midst of some incredible, incredibly difficult circumstances. Ultimately, she shows us the truth that we're resting in today from the scripture. And here's the bottom line, that when we know who we are, and whose we are, we can be courageous and faithful even in the midst of the most difficult of circumstances. So here's three just short application points I want to point you to as you think about living out this truth in your for such a time as this moment. And Jess actually already gave them to us. Three things that Esther did. Esther prays along with her people. Esther prepares and Esther acts. So the application, what we can run with today, pray, prepare, act. In whatever for such a time as this moment we have, pray, prepare, act. Pray, prepare, act. So Esther prays. She rallies her people as we talked, talked about. And as Laura said, she didn't just take Mordecai's challenge to go off and think about it on her own, but she said she needed others fasting and praying with her. So I wonder today, as you think about your for such a time as this moment, do you have others that are with you? What others are you calling with you to join you in the midst of the challenge that you're facing? Who's with you that is willing to, to, to jump in there and pray and, and join you knowing that the road ahead is going to be tough? How are you joining with others to pray with them, to pray for them, knowing that we can't go at it alone and we don't want others to go at it alone in what we're facing right now. Esther prays. Esther prepared. She, she spent the time getting her facts straight. She informed herself by gathering the evidence. You know, Mordecai sent her a copy of the edict. She's, she's honest about what's laid out before her. She's honest about the risks, but she had a plan before she acted and her action was very deliberate. And I wonder how discerning are we? Maybe it's a big for such a time as this moment that you're facing or that you have been facing. You know, how discerning are you in the place where you feel like God's leading? On top of asking others to seek him, um, on your, seek the Lord on your behalf, what, where does the planning, where does the preparation come in? Are you deliberate? I'm fully convinced that the Lord works through the Holy Spirit in spontaneous moments. I Rely on those and need those every week. It's those prayers that are like, Lord, can you please help right now? Like, wisdom now, please. And sometimes that's all we can get out, you know, but it's what a moment requires. 
But I'm also fully convinced that I've seen the Holy Spirit direct and guide through a well-laid plan, through a Holy Spirit-inspired plan that brings fruition and amazing fruit for the sake of the kingdom. When we take the time to invite him, not just into the very end of the process, not just into the final exam, the moment before the test is being passed out, but to the process from the very beginning, yielded to the Spirit's leading as the work unfolds. Faith and sweat, Jess said. You put in the work, but you recognize it's all up to God. And then finally she acts, Esther acts. And the application for our action today is direct. You know, God does have each of us in the place that we're at for a reason. Maybe just for a season that you're in right now. But we need the courage and the wisdom to see the reason, to know the season, and to fulfill it. We have to recognize that he's in control. And that means we're not. Sometimes we recognize it. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes maybe we try to take the bull by the horns more than we should instead of relying on on his work, his faithfulness. But you know that stirring in your spirit. You know that place when you've been put in a position, maybe as a mom, maybe as a dad, maybe in a relationship with a certain friend that you're having the opportunity to spend time with right now. Maybe it's a neighbor that you live next to in this season. Maybe it's uh, your place of employment or a place of influence that you have undoubtedly for this time. And I ask what might be hanging in the balance where God might be calling you to take action in this very moment. Esther prays and rallies her people. She prepares and she acts. As we, as we kind of wrap up today, <clears throat> um, you know, I just, uh, uh, the, the heroine in this story and the fact that um, a Jewish orphan becomes queen to save uh, her people, um, it's, it's something that has a little bit more weight on me as a, a girl dad, a, dad, a father of, of two teenage daughters. So uh, my, my daughters, uh, Nora and Macy, right now are 14 and 16. And uh, I love that um, for such a time as this, Nicole, are, Nicole and I are raising our girls to not let fear stand in the way of trying new things or pursuing passions or shining the light of Christ in the spaces that had, God has them. Um, I didn't realize when I stood in the place that many of these young parents stood uh, 16, 14 years ago, how many for such a time as this moments that parenting can bring you? Can I get an amen to that? (laughs) Uh, From questions that just simply have to be answered in a moment, like right now, whether it's 10 o'clock at night or 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, or at dinner, uh, questions that come from the day's events, helping to navigate challenges or disappointments, Um, celebrations, excitement. Each new day brings new opportunities and challenges. And I find my role as a dad, as a father, as a husband, to continually be willing to step forward with courage, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's a space of the unknown, even when it's it's challenging, and to do that together. And I I guess I want to encourage you that, you know, sometimes uh, for such a time as this moment, uh, starts small for each one of us. It might start in a place that's a lot closer than you think. It might start in your own house. It might start among your own people. But it's also the story that we're telling with our lives. 
with Christ as the center, continuing to trust that he'll transform us with his love and power. You know, it's faithfulness in the everyday for such a time as this moment's that helps us build the endurance. It helps us build the spiritual muscle memory for the inevitable big challenges that will come our way. And I say this to say, your current for such a time as this moment might be a lot closer than you think today. It doesn't have to be on the stage of the nation with everyone's lives immediately hanging in the balance for it to be significant, for it to make a huge difference in your life and in the lives of the people around you. As I said, it's not lost on me that it was a young woman. It was an orphan queen taken in by her extended family. You know, who would have thought as Mordecai challenged and encouraged a young Esther and helped her to grow and step into the moments that unfolded ahead of her, the preparation, the foundation, the conversations, the character formation, the growth, and the trust that was developed as a platform then launched a rescue mission that brought redemption from what seemed like maybe the most unlikely of places. It's a perfect picture of our ultimate redemption coming from the most unlikely of places through a people that were not extinguished that day. Years later, a savior, Jesus, would be born, a descendant of Abraham. He came to live and to demonstrate and to ask all the right questions to help us to know and understand and experience the heart of God. And just when it seemed like his own three-day story was over, his resurrection showed us that we can trust him to remake our old into something new and bold. Our sins forgiven free, full of the Holy Spirit, able to step forward courageously with him into whatever comes our way as we bring him glory and honor in such a time as this. So, what's old? God's faithfulness. It's old, and it's true. The power of Jesus' resurrection. The fact that Jesus wants to continually work in and through each of you in every moment. What's new? The ways that you and I will continue to rely on what's old to pray, to prepare, and to act. Stepping forward in the courage that comes from knowing who we are, knowing whose we are, and relying on God's faithfulness in all that's ahead. The Lord absolutely knows that you were made for such a time as this. So my final question for you today is how will you step into it? Let's pray. Lord, may we step into the places that you have us with boldness and with courage. Trusting in your faithfulness, trusting in your Holy Spirit's leading, trusting in you to do what only you can do in the places where you have us and in the places where we need you to work the most in our lives. Lord, thanks for this text. Thanks for the story. Thanks for the truth of your word and the power of the Holy Spirit to lead us and to 
to old and new understanding and ways that we can be faithful to uh, what you'd have for us as we grow as followers of Jesus. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for the ways that you're going to work in and through and from uh, what we've had the opportunity to dig into today. Uh, Give us the boldness, Lord. Give us the courage. May it all be for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.